coming up next on Contemplate. You will go through difficult times in life. You will go through. I'm not going to be a pastor who tells you that when you find Jesus, everything is going to be wonderful. You will go through hard times, and God will not forget you. He will not forget you. As we open Acts 5, verse 25, the religious leaders had put the apostles in prison. But God sent an angel to free them and told them to go to the temple and speak the words of life. Let's see what happened. Let's see what does happen. So one came and told them, saying, Look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Um, yeah, that would have been a shocker for them. <laughs> not only are these guys not where you put them, but they came back and fully defied you. Okay? I don't know how many of you have a defiant kid. <laughs> I'm sure none of you, but if you ever have, meet one of my kids or something, because when a kid is defiant, sometimes it can just be shocked, like, wow, right? That's where these guys are at. They're like, Whoa, these guys are used to being scary. That's how it works. These guys, their whole life is wrapped up around the idea that they walk around the city and everybody goes, hey, there's Ananias, right? There's whoever, Bartholomew. I don't know. I'm just making things up now. I don't know if any of them were named that. But Ananias was one of them. So Gamaliel, there's another one. Okay, they're, that's what they're all about. Okay, they go out and they're looking for the respect of the people. The people fear them. They are the rulers. Let's not forget they just put somebody in prison. They have the power. They have the power over your body. They can put you in prison. They can torture you. In the case of Jesus Christ, they asked for his death and got it. And so they're used to, when they say do something, that people do it. So to have these guys get out of prison and come right back and start preaching Jesus, this, this has got them, they're, they're, they're over it, Right? They're, they're, going to see, they're, they're going to see something happen to these guys because they do not want to be defied. So let's look at the next verse, verse 26. Then the captain went with the officers and brought them without violence, for they feared the people lest they should be stoned. So now the indignity that they have to go, and instead of just slapping these guys in handcuffs, they have to go to the apostles and say, hey, would you guys mind coming with us? <laughs> they can't use any violence. They just have to ask, would you guys mind? This is not the way that these people are used to dealing with stuff, but that's what they have to do. It says, lest the people should, should stone them, right? Lest they should be stoned. If we go in and take these guys who have been clearly showing the power of the Holy Spirit in their ministry and the people, let's not forget, these people's grandma, sister, mother themselves have been healed, most likely. Remember, they were bringing people from all over the place, from outside the city to be healed. All they, they were like just trying to get up in Peter's shadow so that they could be healed. There was all kinds of miracles happening. These people thought that the apostles were pretty cool stuff. And they thought that they had the power of God. So if the, if the Pharisees and the Sadducees, this great Sanhedrin comes and with violence takes these guys away, they're worried that the people will pick up rocks and throw them at their heads. That's how popular these guys have gotten. And now you get a picture for where all that envy and jealousy is coming in for them, right? Because that's who they're supposed to be. The people are supposed to look at them and say, you're the smartest, you're the most spiritual, you know the most, you're in charge, you're so rich, you're so cool. And instead, these bumpkin fishermen, right? 
from Galilee, okay, they're the ones who are getting all the attention. So much so that they can't even go and arrest them for fear that the people will stone them. That's where they're at. All right. So, next. It says, uh, And when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest asked them. Now remember, the council, once again, the great Sanhedrin, the very top rulers of the Jewish people. That's who the council is. Okay, set them before them. This is what they asked them. It says, saying, Did we not strictly command you not to teach in this name? And look, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood on us. Here's what they're saying. Why aren't you doing what I told you? When I say do things, people do them. What is wrong with you? Where is this courage coming from? Where is it coming from? Who do you think you are? How can you do that which we've asked you not to do? We told you, remember, they told Peter and John, do not preach the name of Jesus anymore. Do not do it. And yet they're defying. Then they get put in prison, and then they defy again. And these guys are like, what are you doing? And they say, this doctrine is filling Jerusalem. Now, I just, just take a minute and think about this. Jesus had been crucified publicly not that long ago. The basis, the very foundation of Christianity relies on his resurrection from the dead. Without Jesus rising from the dead, there is no Christianity. Okay, We are wasting our time in this building if Jesus did not rise from the dead. In order to have filled Jerusalem with their doctrine, people had to believe it, which just shows you, and kind of from, from a certain perspective, you should be able to see how powerful the witness of the apostles was as to the fact of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, so much that it was filling the city. People believed them. You must ask yourself, for those of you who maybe are just checking this out or thinking about who Jesus is, you must ask yourself, what in the world could have convinced people that somebody rose from the dead? What kind of evidence would it take for me to believe something like that? These were not crazy, superstitious people. They didn't believe that people were popping up from the dead all over the place. They knew that when people dead, were dead, they died. That's why it was a big deal. If not, Jesus would have been just another dude who rose from the dead. But that's not what was happening. This was a major thing. So just, just take that point and think about that. What kind of evidence must have been in the power of what these apostles were saying. It says, you want to bring this man's blood on us. They're feeling that the people are going to turn on them because as Jesus becomes more popular, the people who killed him become less popular. That's kind of how that works. Sort of a zero-sum game. If people like Jesus, they're less likely to like his murderers. And they don't want to be in that situation. So they're upset. So they're saying, look, you're out there fomenting anger against us for having killed Jesus. Now here's what Peter and the other apostles said in verse 29. But Peter and the other apostles answered and said, we ought to obey God rather than man. Um, when John and Peter had gone to uh, the Sanhedrin the first time, they were told not to speak the name of Jesus. And at that time, they gave them a rhetorical question. They basically said, look, whether it's right for us to obey you or to obey God, you judge. You be the judge of whether it's right for us to obey you or for us to obey God. Seems rhetorical. The answer should obviously be, you should obey God. 
right? But apparently these guys didn't get it. And this time they don't even give them the rhetorical question. They just tell them straight up, we're going to obey God, not you. In case you didn't pick that up last time, I'm going to just not put it in question form so that you think you can answer it one way or the other. We're going to obey God, not you. Now this is an incredibly important statement. A, a prescriptive statement, by the way, absolutely prescriptive for the Christian walk. You are to obey God, not people. When the two contradict, go with God. Okay? This is not a complicated, but it is. It can be complicated, right? Because there are all kinds of properly constituted authorities over us whether that's in the home, whether that's at work, whether that's in the church, whether that's politically with, within the state. There's all kinds of different places where God has put somebody, properly put somebody in authority over you. And you are to do what the authority asks you to do. That's the right way to live. It's all over scripture. Yet, here we see an instance where we say, when that contradicts with what God has clearly commanded you to do, you don't obey the authority. See, authority comes from Jesus, okay? All authority in heaven and earth is given to me. Remember this? Matthew 28, chapter eight, or verse 28, 18. All authority in heaven and earth is mine. And then he gives it to who he wants to give it to. In the law or in the tradition of the law, as I learned about the law in law school, the, the Christian tradition was that a law that was unjust was not a law. If it's outside of what's right or righteous, it's not just a bad law, it's not law. And that's what these guys are saying. That, that tradition clearly flows right from here. If God says do this and you say do that, your, your command is meaningless. It's not law. I don't have to follow it. I don't have to obey it. And I don't have to feel bad about the fact that I'm not obeying it. There will come a time in your life, most likely, where someone who is a properly constituted authority over you will ask you to do something that is different or opposite from that which God has clearly commanded you to do. When that time comes, you are obligated, obligated to follow God and not that person. You will not be able to say, I was just following orders. That's what the Nazis tried to say. Didn't work well for them at Nuremberg. That's not a defense. It's just following orders. You know what's right. You cannot pass the buck. You will stand before God by yourself. And you cannot say to him, well, this authority that was over me said to do this thing, so I did it. I thought it was kind of a one or the other thing. Nope. You are obligated to do what God has called you to do. Now, let me be clear about something. I'm not talking about when you have a difference of opinion. Okay? If your boss asks you to do something and you just really don't want to do it, you cannot say to them, Pastor David told me that I should obey God rather than you on this thing. Because if they call me and ask me about it, I'm going to tell them to fire your rebellious behind. Because it was not a God thing. That's a you thing. I'm talking about clear commands from Christ. When you have those, you follow those and not people. This is something that will come up and you will face persecution when you have to do that. You have to do it, and you have to face the consequences that come with it, knowing that, just like these guys knew, this great Sanhedrin, they might be able to control the body, they might be able to torture, imprison, and kill the body, but they could do nothing, nothing to their eternal soul. And God will reward eternally that which you do that's right. Now, don't worry about the ones who can hurt you. Yes, it's going to be scary. 
Yes, hopefully you won't face death over one of these issues, but you might. And by the way, people do every day in different parts of this world. In different parts of this world, there's people who have to stand up and say, I'm going to follow God, not men. And that means your hand gets cut off with a machete or you get killed or they kill your children in front of you. I mean, it's pretty dark, but that's what happens. And people do it and they stand for Christ and they will have their reward eternally. So if you get called to just do something difficult, maybe you lose your job over it. Maybe you do. You got to do what's right. You got to do what God says, not what men say. Okay? All right. Next verse. Verse 30. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you murdered by hanging on a tree. Okay, two things here. Try to get through this one quick. The God of our fathers, they're clearly not separating themselves from the great Sanhedrin. In other words, they're saying, we serve the same God. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The God of our fathers. It is our God, not somebody else. It is our God that has anointed Jesus. It is our God. Jesus is our God. Okay? They're saying that. That's clear. And then they talk about being murdered by hanging on a tree. Now you're thinking, well, it was a cross, not a tree. Well, and that's the, that's the term they would have used. But it's important that they used that, those words, hang on a tree. There's a theological reason that they made this statement. And I'll tell you what it is. These guys would have known the Bible, would have probably had it memorized, the first five books of the Bible. And in Deuteronomy, the fifth book of the Bible, verse 21, 23, it says this. His body must not remain overnight on the tree. You must bury him that same day because cursed of God is the one who has been hanged on a tree. So when they say you hanged him on a tree, they were telling them, this is what I'm saying, that Jesus was cursed of God. And what they mean by that is that Jesus took the curse of sin on himself. That in dying on that tree, Jesus took on the curse that was on us because of our sin. This is important for them to understand. There's a reason why they said it. Jesus has taken the curse and in doing so has defeated death, has defeated hell, and has given the opportunity for life. And they continue, right? They continue here. They say, him, that's Jesus, God is exalted to his right hand to be prince and savior, to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. So they're saying, listen, when they use that word prince, they're talking about the chief, the author, the premier person, the first one, the high one, okay? And then they talk about savior, and they talk about repentance and forgiveness. This is the gospel. They've just preached the gospel to these people. Jesus died. In this case, you killed him, okay? He rose again by the power of our God. Our God is behind Jesus, not behind you, but... He is the first one. He's the prince. He's the, he's the one. And he's our savior, bringing us to repentance and forgiving our sins, making us right with God. It's no longer the sacrificial system. It's no longer these rules that you follow. That's not the point. That's not where salvation is grounded. Salvation is grounded in the fact that Jesus took God's curse for you. And we'll forgive your sins. So there they go. They preach the gospel to these guys. Okay? Now, as they move on, they give their evidence for what they've just said. And this is what they say. And we are his witnesses to these things. And so also is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. Now, here's what they mean. What are they witnesses to? To the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Okay? That you hung him on a tree, but that God raised him up. We are witnesses. We actually saw it. 
in real life, not in our hearts, not in whatever. We saw it. We saw the risen Christ. And we testify that he's the Savior who forgives sins, who brings us to repentance and forgives sins. And not only us, but the Holy Spirit testifies. Now, what do they mean by that? How is the Holy Spirit testifying? The Holy Spirit is testifying by bringing signs, wonders, miracles, healings through these men. He's doing, in the law, we would call it corroborating testimony. He's corroborating, he's validating their testimony. The Holy Spirit is, through these signs and wonders, saying, God is behind the words of these people. What they're saying is true. How do you know it's true? Because God has shown that he's with them. That's what they're saying. That's the witness of the Holy Spirit. So we've witnessed it, and the Holy Spirit through us is witnessing to you that what we're telling you is true. Now, these guys, the great Sanhedrin, the, the most educated men, most likely, in the entire place, the rulers, the ones who have seen all this, the ones who asked for the death of Christ, who heard about his resurrection, the ones who have seen these apostles with the power of the Holy Spirit, signs, wonders, healings, escaping from jail, they don't seem to have any power over them. They've seen all these things, and then here they are, standing before them saying, we are witnesses of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You can see that it's true through the power of the Holy Spirit that cannot be denied. And you would think that it would be time for them to humble themselves, put away their jealousy and their envy, and accept the forgiveness that they're being offered. You'd think that when they're thinking about the fact that they're being accused of killing God, that they would be looking for an escape from the judgment that would clearly come from such an act. And they're being offered it. Repentance, forgiveness of sins. Jesus wants to forgive you. The gospel's been preached. And let's see if that's how they react. Verse 33. When they heard this, they were furious and plotted to kill them. So no, <laughs> didn't work. These guys doubled down on their evil, on their wickedness, on their sin. They were so tied, so connected, so wrapped up in wanting to be respected and revered here on earth by the people that all the gospel being preached to them did was made them more angry. Just made them more angry. They, wouldn't, they did not want to admit that they were wrong. They were prideful, arrogant. And instead of saying, Jesus, save me, they wanted to kill his followers. Now, we're going to come back to, we don't have time to keep going in this passage. We'll come back to the story to be continued for now. Next time in our next Acts message, we'll, we'll continue it. However, if you have one of these, you can check out the rest of the story yourself. So it's all in there. I encourage you to read it. But we'll come back and we'll talk about what happened here and how God worked in their lives. Now, quickly, because I'm out of time, really, but I'm going to give you three quick points, okay? Three quick points that I think we should take from what we've read here. First one is this. God loves you. You are never, ever, ever forgotten about or left out in the cold with God. These guys were in prison. He did not forget about them. These guys are standing before the great Sanhedrin. He has not forgotten about them. You will go through difficult times in life. You will go through. I'm not going to be a pastor who tells you that when you find Jesus, everything is going to be wonderful. You will go through hard times, and God will not forget you. He will not forget you. He may call you into that which is difficult, okay? That's the next point. Sometimes God asks us to be bold even when it's very scary. He's going to ask you to rely more and more on him. 
The first trust fall may be from something this high, but by the end of your walk in Christ, you're dropping from the Empire State Building. The trust is going to continue to build as you see him come through. He's going to ask you, but that kind of trust, that kind of faith is serious, and it means you're going to have to face serious difficulties. And yet, remember the first point, he loves you. And he will never forget about you. And he will never leave you. That does not mean that bad things won't happen to you. It doesn't mean you won't die. But death is nothing because he's already defeated it. Eternity is what matters. And the more your mindset is, I'm going to trust God even unto death if that's what it takes. Because I know what waits for me when I get to see his face. That's where we need to be. The last thing is this. Even though the apostles here had the power of the Holy Spirit in them, even though they had worked in the church and seen amazing things happen. They'd seen healings and signs and wonders, and the Holy Spirit was at work with them, and they went in, and they were bold, and they spoke the gospel. They preached the gospel to the very leaders of the Jewish people. The response that they got was not immediate acceptance and belief. It was hostility. Now, here's the thing. You may be in God's will, and you may speak the truth powerfully. You may preach the gospel in an unassailable way, and no one can come against you. You may destroy all the arguments of your critics and have the power of the Holy Spirit and be like healing people with your shadow, and all kinds of stuff may go on. And that person who you're speaking to may still reject the gospel and reject you. It's not all sunshine and lollipops. There is the aspect to which you are called to speak the truth in love, and it's God's work to bring people to know him. And you have to continue and continue and continue to be faithful. By the way, some of these men from the great Sanhedrin did end up becoming Christ followers eventually. There's a man who we're going to read about named Paul who breathed threats and violence against the Christians who became an amazing believer. And so you don't know what's going to happen. You're just called to speak the truth in love. You may have invited that person to church 17 times, and he or she has rejected you every time, and it hurts your feel-bads, and you don't like it. Keep doing it, because you don't know which time is going to be the time. So recognize that just because you know how to speak the truth, even speak it well, does not mean that people are automatically going to just fall over for what you're saying. There are deep-seated issues of sin and rebellion in the heart of humans. They were in your heart, they were in my heart, and God has drawn us to himself. And he's drawing other people, and we need to continue to speak the truth in love. As a church, as individuals, that's our job. Don't get discouraged. God loves you. He loves you. Just do what he calls you to do. Speak the truth in love and watch what happens. So have you seen a little of yourself in these religious leaders? I think we all do. But if you also realize that you need to trust Jesus for life, I hope you'll do that right now. Simply ask him to forgive your sins, be your Lord and Savior, and give you eternal life, and he will. And if you still have questions or just need help figuring all this out, give us a call at 360-885-9000. Or come see us at Axe Church this Sunday morning. 
Get all the info you need at actschurchnw.org. Well, that's it for today, but there's much more great Bible teaching in our next episode here on Contemplate.